0: This is America'sWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio, designed just for
1: you. Good evening, welcome to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. This is Dr. Scott Bay, your psychiatrist on America's Web Radio, and your source for all the latest mental health-related news. If it's about the mind, the brain, human behavior, how to feel well emotionally, how to cope better with stress, how to rid yourself of dangerous habits, and how to make sense of all the media reports on the latest research into the causes and treatments of mental illness, this is where you'll hear all of that without the hype and distortion of other media sources and with the benefit of more than 20 years in the practice of psychiatry, along the way trying to reduce the stigma associated with having a psychiatric diagnosis and requiring treatment. And welcome back, folks. This is the first new show for the year 2014, the January the 8th, 2014 edition of Psychiatry Today. First show for the new year. Excited about that. Excited to be bringing you the latest mental health-related news for another year here on America's Web Radio, along with the other great programming on that channel, as it were, that website, americaswebradio.com appreciate all of you who tune into the show via that website or download the podcast on iTunes. As always, I look forward to your feedback about the show. We'd love to hear from you about what you like about it, what you'd like to hear more of, or even some constructive criticism. That'd be fine too. And as always, the best way to get in touch with me is to send an email to me here at America's Web Radio. And that email address is doctor Scott, that's spelled D R S C O T at Radiosandysprings dot com R A D I O S A N D Y S P R I N G S dot com. Don't worry about confidentiality. I will not reveal anything in discussing email messages that could reveal anything personal so Please feel free to write in with your questions, your comments about the show, your mental health-related questions or concerns. If you're having mental health problems and you've tried to get help and it hasn't gone well or you're not sure where to turn to get help for the problems that you or someone close to you are having, uh, I would love to be a resource for you to try to help you to be better able to deal with whatever it is that's going on. So to start out, this show being the first show of the year, and the first show of January. Of course, this time of year, everyone's talking about New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, and uh, in all sincerity, trying to make behavioral changes for the new year, fresh start. Uh, there's also inevitably the questions of how long it will take for people to break said resolutions, and there's also no shortage of advice as to how to better be able to maintain them and not let them fall by the wayside. Uh, there's also a lot of buzz about how Monday of this week, uh, the 6th, was so-called most depressing day of the year. Back to work for a lot of people, back to school for many more people, back to the normal routine after a winter break, Frankly, I think there's much too much buzz about that. Uh, there's probably more depression attributable to the very, very severe cold snap we went through at the beginning of this week, and in fact why uh, that day was somewhat anticlimactic in terms of the so-called most depressing day since not too many people went to school, certainly not young people in any case, given the weather. Uh, so I think that... We're not going to focus too much on New Year's resolutions. I will just say this. Instead of trying to make sweeping behavioral changes and fix everything overnight just because it's the new year and raise your expectations too high so that they'll inevitably be disappointed and you'll sometimes set goals that are too high, that are unreachable, and feel worse about yourself when you can't reach these unreachable goals. Instead, it's always best to try to make small, incremental changes in behavior uh, rather than to say, well, I'm just going to completely remake myself and become a different person. Um, smaller, reachable, incremental goals, that's the way to accomplish true, long-lasting Changes in behavior. And maybe we're talking about things like quitting smoking, cutting back on drinking, you know, losing weight. Th- these are some of the most common New Year's resolutions. But actually, before we get to any of that, this, uh, this article that I want to talk about first, admittedly may be old business given that it's already January and it's after the holidays. Uh, but I came across this article during the two week break from the show uh, of these past two weeks uh, of December when there wasn't a new show on the air for me. And I thought, well, you know, even though it was meant for people who were going to be having a lot of parties in their home or at least one party in their home over the holidays, I thought, well, you know, this is good to go over anyway because, let's face it, people don't only entertain during the holidays uh, in, at the end of the year and New Year's. People entertain during the rest of the year as well for other occasions, birthday parties and and so on. Uh, So the article recommends that you secure your prescription drugs when you are hosting, well, the article says holiday parties, but we're going to say any party you have in your home. That's right. Uh, Experts advise that since uh, prescription drug abuse isn't likely to be on your mind when you open your home to guests. Uh, since it's a major problem in the United States, you should take preventive action when hosting a party. Now, this suggestion may seem shocking to some of you listening to this, the idea that uh, social scientists might say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of people who will go into someone's home, even someone they know, rummage through their medicine cabinets, looking for certain prescription drugs, and steal them. Well, it's an unpleasant reality to have to confront, but it is a reality. There may be others of you listening to this who are nodding knowingly because you've had this happen to you already. Well... It is important to keep it in mind, and uh, public health experts uh, came out with this advice uh, right after Christmas, actually. It was between Christmas and New Year's when this article came out. The recommendation? Play it safe. Inevitably, guests will be using bathrooms, uh, placing coats and purses in various rooms, and the recommendation is that prescription drugs of any kind should be placed in a safe location where they are kept locked and out of the hands of guests. So I kind of understand that locked might seem a little bit heavy handed or excessive, but at least kept secure and kept track of so that prying eyes or hands may not be able to reach them. Now, This, again, may seem shocking to some of you, but there is, of course, uh, an epidemic of prescription drug abuse in the United States, especially painkillers. And it also may come as a surprise to you that the majority of people who abuse prescription painkillers do not buy them surreptitiously from people on the street. They obtain extra supplies from friends or relatives, or friends of friends, or relatives of friends, and so on. And rummaging through a party host's medicine cabinet uh, is a lot more common than we like to think and that you may know. Uh, So that's why, especially if you have any leftover pain medication, um, keep it secure. Very, very typical scenario, someone... Had a dental procedure or surgery, they were given a prescription for a pain medication. They only needed to take it the first day or so postoperatively. The remaining supply sits unused in a medicine cabinet, uh, waiting until someone who is prone to abuse this type of medication comes along. Uh, again, folks, sounds. Distasteful to have to contemplate it, but uh, a very common scenario. Now, while they were at it, these public health experts also made mention of the dangers of over when you are entertaining. And again, this was described during the holidays, but that can certainly happen anytime you're entertaining. Uh, party hosts need to be aware of making strong drinks or people making their own drinks much stronger than normally would be served, let's say at a bar or a restaurant, and that uh, people may be drinking many more beverages while under the uh, influence of the conviviality and cheer of the occasion in the host's home. And again, there are no uh, limits that might be imposed by uh, a server monitoring someone's condition. Adults with alcohol problems and underage youth may find alcohol unmonitored and plentiful in situations where it's not normally available to them. So if you're hosting an event, make sure you monitor the situation. Also make sure that there are non-alcoholic beverages for younger guests and people who don't drink either because they're in recovery from alcohol or... uh, Medical problems dictate that they shouldn't drink if they're the designated driver, what have you. And it's also important to remember to avoid binge drinking. Now, some people aren't aware that the definition of binge drinking is five or more drinks in uh, one setting for men and four or more for women. And also, again, uh, people on prescription medication, be aware of dangerous interactions between alcohol and medications, especially alcohol and psychiatric medications. you're combining alcohol with central nervous system acting medications, that is a setup for severe problems with thinking, memory, coordination, potentially even seizures. And if you're a recovering alcoholic, and you're attending holiday parties with people, uh, that you know are going to be drinking. Make sure you protect yourself. Uh, bring something for you to drink that's non-alcoholic. Make sure you have an appropriate exit strategy. If the situation gets sloppy, out of control, and you quickly realize it's not a positive atmosphere to be, to, for you to be in as a recovering alcoholic. All right. We're going to take a commercial break. We'll be right back with more. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott.
2: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
0: Come on, follow Snipples to Atlanta's go-to center for breathing easy. Do you suffer from chronic sinus headaches, recurrent sinusitis, facial pain or pressure, and chronic congestion? Well, balloon sinuplasty just could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Sniffles.com. We treat the problem, not the symptom. Chronic sinus symptoms, gone. This could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. This proven in-office procedure can have you breathing easy, back to work the next day. And it's done under local anesthesia. Get lasting relief, a quick recovery, and start breathing easy again. Follow me and breathe easy.
3: Follow sniffles.com. This is Cheryl Linker, host of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Join us as we keep things fun and interesting as we educate you in the world of master gardening.
2: Hello, I'm Ray Bowman, and I'm really looking forward to our new show, Food and Farm, brought to you every Friday at noon on America's Web Radio by FeedstuffsFoodLink.com.
0: This is America'sWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott, your psychiatrist on America's Web Radio. Now, let's talk about some information related to typical New Year's resolutions, right? Like quitting smoking, for example. Uh, An article came out the end of last week about smoking cessation options, very timely, for people who resolve to quit smoking in 2014. People who want to quit smoking no longer have to suffer through cold turkey withdrawal. There are a number of options for quitting smoking that alleviate that complication of quitting. Some of them have side effects. Actually, most of them do. But experts generally believe that the benefits of quitting smoking far exceed the risks posed by side effects of these various smoking cessation aids or treatments. And uh, so let's look through the various options. Now, one of them is nicotine replacement therapy, and that in turn comes in very different forms. There are, are a large variety, in fact, of nicotine replacement products. They include the nicotine patch, where... You have you wear a patch that slowly releases nicotine transdermally, that is through the skin, uh, usually lasting 24 hours. The, the issue with the patch, it's very effective in terms of preventing nicotine withdrawal, but it's too dangerous to smoke while you're using the patch. And no, it won't work to peel the thing off and then light up a cigarette. It's, uh, it's still active uh, for a time after you peel it off. So the patch is only for people who are willing to put that thing on and then not smoke. Then there's the nicotine gum. The advantage of the gum is that you can gradually substitute chewing the gum for smoking cigarettes and yet still smoke cigarettes at other times. The gum has long been touted as an aid for people who cannot smoke while at work, for example. And that's especially important now that it's winter time. It's not so uh, inviting to go outside for that cigarette break anymore, isn't it? Especially with the cold snap we've had lately. Uh, the knock against the gum is that it tastes bloody awful. And uh, the manufacturers of the gums have tried to alleviate this by making it available in different flavors. But you know what? Using nicotine gum isn't supposed to be like chewing Wrigley, or Juicy Fruit, or anything like that. And uh, also, you can't use it like regular gum either. You have to follow the very specific detailed instructions, because if you chew it like regular chewing gum, you're going to release much too much nicotine into your system too quickly, and you're going to make yourself sick, quite frankly. Uh, I still think the gum is a really good option for for people who uh, cannot just stop suddenly like you have to with the patch. There are nicotine lozenges. You're simply sucking on a lozenge instead of chewing gum, but the principle is basically the same. Uh, there's also a nasal spray nicotine inhaler, which is not as common. The patches, the gum, and the lozenges are over-the-counter and do not require a prescription. The nasal spray and the inhaler do require a prescription. Then you have two different prescription medications that are designed to help people quit smoking. The first one is bupropion. Now, Bupropion has been available as an antidepressant medication as far back as the late 1980s. In 1997, it was sold under the name Zyban as a smoking cessation aid. What happened is that when the company who made Wellbutrin, that's the the name of the antidepressant, were developing a twice-a-day sustained-release version of Wellbutrin people who were in those trials of this new version of it reported to the scientists that, hey, you know, I smoke and this pack of cigarettes I would usually go through in a day is now lasting me three, four, or five days. So the researchers said, hmm, we're on to something, and they developed Welbutrin, again, up until that point, just for depression, as a smoking cessation aid. Why give it a different name? Well, their market research showed that smokers didn't want the stigma of being on an antidepressant, a psychiatric drug. Go figure. I never really understood why that was the case. Uh, when smokers I talk to uh, who are desperate to quit are uh, given that scenario, they're saying, well, I don't understand that at all. Uh, when I've wanted to quit, I wouldn't care what I had to take. But regardless, uh, it was given this other name. And of course, since Wellbetrina has long ago been available in a generic, it's a mood point, no matter what you buy it for, whether it's depression, whether it's smoking cessation, the generic name is the same. Since it is an antidepressant, um, it will sort of uh, attenuate the moodiness and the mood swings that come with quitting smoking. And it is also a gradual method. If you take WellBeTrain, you can smoke as much as you want. The whole point is if it works the way it's supposed to, your natural urges to smoke will be less. And it's possible uh, that after the drug itself has taken effect and just you notice you've cut down without really even trying, when you get low enough, it is hoped and thought that if you put some extra effort on your own into the process, then it becomes easier, easier to stop completely. And in years past, it was thought that it would be too dangerous to combine using Welbutrin or Bupropion with nicotine replacement therapy. Uh, however, more recently, it has been thought that it is actually safe and appropriate to do so. But of course, if you have side effects, you should definitely report these to your doctor and uh, ask questions if it seems to be causing problems. Now, there are certainly many people for whom the well uh, bupropion medication has not been helpful, including smoking. I think in many cases, the dose that's been prescribed has been too low uh, well, we're supposed to start at 150 milligrams, just one tablet a day. After about a week, go up to one tablet twice a day if it's a sustained release. If it's extended release, you go from one 150 milligram tablet to one 300 milligram tablet. Now that's leading to the final step, which unfortunately is all too often missed, some people have a higher tolerance to medicines and they need higher doses to get the same effect. Welbutrin can be increased to 450 milligrams a day. They don't make a tablet that size. You either have to take a 300 and a 150 together or take three 150s all at the same time. But I strongly encourage any of you listening to this who have tried Wellbutrin in the past, if you didn't think it helped enough and Either you or your doctor just stopped it because it didn't seem to be doing enough. As long as it didn't do any harm, and if you relapse with your smoking, go ahead, have another shot at it, and this time, make sure your doctor increases the dose up to 450 milligrams a day, and hopefully, they will be informed already that that is an appropriate and safe and approved dose of the drug. Now, of course, the other prescription medication for smoking cessation is Chantix. The chemical name is varenicline, but it is uh, not going to be available in a generic anytime soon. And it's extremely expensive. Now, while both Chantix and Welbitrin are effective, uh, Chantix and Welbitrin have been studied head-to-head pointedly by the manufacturers of Chantix and Chantix was thought to be at least modestly superior to Wellbutrin in terms of helping people to quit smoking. Chantix rightfully so enjoys a reputation of having some very difficult and very severe side effects at times, most notably quite significant nausea and nightmares. It also has to be taken twice a day, and a lot of people really don't like the side effects. I will tell you, too, that it carries very dire warnings about serious psychiatric side effects, including that it may actually cause depression and suicidal thinking. When the warnings of these potential side effects came out, the Federal Aviation Administration decided that they would ban commercial airline pilots from taking the drug. Apparently, they felt that the risks of Chantix and uh, a commercial airline pilot becoming depressed and suicidal from trying to use it to quit smoking outweighed other potential smoking cessation treatments, outweighed the risks of commercial airline pilots continuing to smoke, and perhaps even they thought that... uh, the adverse risk profile of Chantix was worse than cold turkey quitting smoking, which can cause anxiety, insomnia, irritability, depression, and impaired concentration. So once again, uh, the way the FAA deals with commercial airline pilots is not necessarily what uh, those of us who believe in common sense approaches to medical care, would agree with. But there you have it. The bottom line for all of you out there who are thinking of a trial of Chantix is that while it's important to be aware of these warnings and potential side effects and consider them before you take it, uh, report them to your doctor if you do experience them while taking it, recent studies have been very reassuring. Recently, it has been studied that even in smokers with a known history of a major psychiatric illness, that Chantix does not cause any increase in the rates of depression or suicidal thinking, as was once thought. I can tell you in my own practice, fortunately, I have never had this happen. But I think the explanation for that is very simple. By definition, someone seeing me is on medication to help regulate their mood, and especially to prevent depression, and I'm certain that is what protects someone I'm seeing from having these side effects of Chantix. I certainly have seen the nausea and the nightmares. Some people can get past them after a couple of weeks. Some people can't tolerate it, have to stop it, and have to try other methods, and there are others and we'll discuss them after we come back from our next commercial break here on Psychiatry Today with Dr Scott
3: Nine
0: eight six two. Come on, follow Snipples to Atlanta's go-to center for breathing easy. Do you suffer from chronic sinus headaches, recurrent sinusitis, facial pain or pressure, and chronic congestion? Well, balloon sinuplasty just could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Sniffles.com. We treat the problem, not the symptom. Chronic sinus symptoms, gone. This could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. This proven in-office procedure can have you breathing easy, back to work the next day. And it's done under local anesthesia. Get lasting relief, a quick recovery, and start breathing easy again. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Sniffles.com. Watchdog. And proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America'sWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio, designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to Psychiatry Today, the show with all the latest mental health-related information, and your host, Dr. Scott Bay, your psychiatrist on America's Web Radio. We're talking about a review of current smoking cessation methods, which ties in with the new year and one of the more common new year's resolutions to quit smoking. Before the break, we were talking about things like nicotine replacement therapy and medications. Let's look at some other, perhaps less common or even less mainstream options for smoking cessation, um, including something relatively new. Now, let's see. First, let's talk about hypnosis and acupuncture, so-called alternative treatments. Now, there have not ever been large clinical trials of either hypnosis or acupuncture, surprisingly. And so these treatments are not included in any national guidelines about smoking cessation published by any large health organizations but that doesn't mean that these treatments would not be valid or would not be helpful to some people. And really, um, you know, there's no significant downside to either of these treatments uh, except if you take into account their cost and the time they take and the fact that they're perhaps certainly less likely to be covered by health insurance. Although I dare say, unfortunately, most health insurance companies don't cover any treatment for smoking cessation. Why, you ask? Doesn't that seem kind of ridiculous, that if health insurance companies would pay for smoking cessation treatments, that it would save untold billions of dollars of costs? in terms of prevention of lung cancer, heart disease, and every other negative health consequence of smoking? Well, the ugly reality of why health insurance companies don't pay for smoking cessation treatments is that actuarially they don't have to think about the long-term health prospects of any of their members. Statistically, an A given individual only spends on average 18 months covered under one particular health insurance plan, so there's no incentive for them to be thinking in the long term. Sad, but but true. This is how the health insurance companies approach it. But regardless, whether we're talking about the costly nature of a course of treatment of acupuncture or hypnosis or whether we're talking about any of the things we went over before, the prescriptions, the patches, gums, etc. Let's face it, there are costs associated with any of these treatments, but what about the costs of smoking? Five, six, seven dollars a pack, depending on where you live and how much the taxes are? I think if you look at it that way, there's no need to really be too concerned about the cost of the treatments. What I would say about hypnosis as an aid for smoking cessation is that, like hypnosis, for any reason, it will work well for some patients. For some patients, it will not work well at all. Uh, In order to benefit from hypnosis, people have to be willing to simply submit to an extremely relaxed state. And some people are better able to do this than others. For those who are able to get how to get into a hypnotic state and uh, are, are easily taught how to do it, it can be effective. For people who struggle and just don't get how it works, it's not going to be a fruitful course of action. Uh, acupuncture is controversial. There are studies that support acupuncture in general. And there are other studies that show so-called sham acupuncture where the needles are placed randomly, not according to uh, the meridians where they're supposed to be placed to treat illness, uh, showing no difference between regular, uh, a proper acupuncture and sham Acupuncture, these studies purportedly expose it as ineffective. But really, again, I think whether it's a real treatment or – whether people who benefit from it are experiencing a placebo reaction and are just enjoying being in a very relaxed state in the calming, soothing acupuncture suite. I don't really think it's relevant. You know, all that's relevant is, does a person respond to the treatment? Does the response last? I think that's all that counts. Now, we're talking a lot about devices, uh, treatments imposed on the smoker. Another element that doesn't often get discussed when it comes to smoking cessation is social support. The importance of social support actually has been minimized, but it really cannot be overstated. Uh, It's very difficult to smoke if your spouse smokes, if your circle of friends are smokers. So this is also an important factor and there is help for people who need and want to quit smoking from things like state quit lines georgia has a state smoking quit line uh there is uh, also an 800 number 800 quit now and that connects you to your state quit line wherever you live and If you call your state quit line, you're supposed to be guaranteed at least five phone calls at different intervals from a counselor to help you quit. And studies show that this does help more people quit successfully. In fact, people who not only called their state quit 800 phone number, but also took nicotine replacement therapy, those folks doubled their chances of successfully quitting smoking now the newest and the latest and the greatest or maybe not so greatest is of course the e-cigarette now smoking cessation experts are still eyeing the e-cig warily they have yet to go ahead and give them the green light but of course that is against the incredible enthusiasm for these devices there's all, they're also quite controversial because while they differ from regular c- cigarettes in that you don't have the tars and carcinogens associated with cigarette smoke because you're not burning tobacco, you're just burning nicotine, there's no shortage of unhealthy chemicals that people who inhale the vapor from e-cigarettes, or which is vaping, not smoking, that's what it's called, There's still some very unhealthy chemicals that the person using this device is inhaling along with the nicotine vapor. Now, uh, they use heat to turn nicotine and other chemicals into the vapor that then is inhaled, much like smoking a cigarette. Many of these things even look like a cigarette. I tell you what, you know, I think the health risks of smoking are so severe that even though the jury may be out on the health benefits and risks of e-cigs, I don't see how they can be any worse than smoking cigarettes. So fine, if you're using it to help yourself quit smoking and it works for you, great, go ahead and buy one. But the public in general needs to be aware that sometimes what is happening is that young people who are not smokers and cannot buy cigarettes are able to buy the e-cigs and are using that as their introduction to nicotine and becoming addicted. So it really is well past the time that e-cigs be more closely studied and regulated. And whereas in the beginning they were very much unregulated and people were using them anywhere and everywhere – especially places where people are not allowed to smoke. That is changing. They're being banned along with cigarettes in uh, places where cigarettes were long ago banned. More states are passing regulations. Uh, so again, it's uh, like many other areas where technology uh, is happening and developing faster than the laws can catch up. But still... Uh, I think the e-cigs are definitely a useful way to get someone away from smoking cigarettes as long as they're committed to the eventual goal of quitting the use of nicotine completely. Now, above all else, if you're trying to quit smoking and you've tried before, do not get discouraged if your first attempt is not successful In fact, do not get discouraged, no matter how many attempts are unsuccessful. It's rare that people quit their first try. It takes more than one try. It may take innumerable tries. But don't give up. Keep trying. Research has shown over and over again, the more times you try, the greater the likelihood you will eventually quit successfully. You can set a quick date, or you can just let it happen sort of naturally when it feels like you're ready to do it. But regardless, don't get down on yourself. Failure, even repeated failure, is a normal part of the process. Now, again, relapses are going to happen, and it's important to be easy on yourself when they happen, And instead of beating up on yourself and getting discouraged and saying, oh, what's the use? I'll just go back to smoking. I can't do this. Just try to say, okay, well, I fell off the horse. I'm going to dust myself off, get up, get back on the horse, and keep riding. And the other thing important to keep in mind, too, and this is very, very important, please don't tell yourself, well, I'm very old. I've been smoking my entire life. What's the point in quitting now? The damage is done. It isn't going to help me quit. That is not true. Studies show no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've smoked, and no matter what disease that you have that's already been documented from your lifetime of smoking, it is never too late to benefit from quitting. All right? So... Uh, no matter how old, no matter how long you've smoked, and no matter how you're feeling, definitely try to quit, and uh, your situation will improve to one degree or another. All right, we'll have more mental health-related news when we come back from this next commercial break. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Be right back.
2: This is Michael Geno with Insight to Israel. Thank you, God bless patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on Webradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
3: Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show at Home with Paisley every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office.
0: This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just
1: for you. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today. Dr. Scott, your psychiatrist on America's Web Radio with you here, first show of the new year. Again, I want to remind those of you who have questions or comments about tonight's show, or you have mental health related concerns that you'd like my help with, the email address for me, Dr. Scott, spelled D-R-S-C-O-T, at RadioSandySprings.com, R-A-D-I-O-S-A-N-D-Y-S-P-R-I-N-G-S.com. Dr. Scott, again, spelled D-R-S-C-O-T. Next up on tonight's show, continuing our discussion, of the latest news on smoking cessation, again, one of the most popular New Year's resolutions, it turns out that a combination of two prescription medications that we talked about on an earlier segment of the show may work better than either one alone. Now, it's important to point out that while these researchers did study the combination of taking Welbutrin and Chantix, the two prescription medications, pills, that are approved for use for smoking cessation. The Food and Drug Administration has not approved taking these medications in combination. And it is not clear that this research that we're about to talk about would ever lead to the FDA looking at that issue. Okay, so at the, at the moment, the only thing we can take from this is to carefully scrutinize what these researchers did, uh, look at what happened to the subjects in their study, and then it is up to smokers who are aware of the outcome of this research and uh, physicians who treat smokers and are aware of the research to make their own conclusions and make their own informed decisions about whether they think This is a good idea or not. I'll certainly give you my own take after we discuss it. So let's look at what they did. Um, It turns out that they studied this combination of Chantix and Welbertrin for 12 weeks, and they compared smoking quit rates with the combination to just Chantix alone. Uh, And uh, then they looked again after a year. All right, so now this was done at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, okay? So this was not some uh, sort of, uh, you know, cut-rate medical research. This is top-notch, state-of-the-art medical research. For heavier smokers and more dependent smokers, people who are really, truly nicotine addicted, the combination therapy of Chantix plus Welbitrin- was found to increase quit rates compared to Chantix alone, and uh, the lead researcher was saying, "Hey, this is what this is how we're going to treat our patients from now on." All right. So again, this is the Mayo Clinic. You can take your own conclusions from that. And uh, the discussion of the effect was that the combination therapy works better than the Chantix alone because. Chantix and Welbutrin work in different ways. They have two different mechanisms of action. And we know that with addiction, there are multiple parts of the brain involved. And the speculation was that since these drugs have different effects on the brain, perhaps one of the keys to treatment of any addiction is to be able to target different parts of the brain simultaneously in order to increase the, the uh the rate of successful treatment of that addiction, in this case, nicotine. Now, the, the study itself was published in the up, in the January 8th issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association, again, one of the most prestigious, respected scholarly journals in all of medicine, and found that although many attempting quitters relapsed, A significant number of those who had this combination therapy did not take up the habit of smoking again. A 30% quit rate with the combination therapy versus a 24% quit rate with the one drug. That may not sound like a huge difference, but when you're talking about in, in research for smoking cessation, folks... The effects are normally so modest. Even 20-25% quit rates are thought to be huge. That's just how it goes. It's such a difficult insidious addiction to try to break someone of. Now, so and it's it's definitely not surprising that many people eventually relapsed because like we talked about before, relapse is part of the process with smoking, as with many other addictions. But the important part of long-term treatment for these patients is to keep them re-engaging in the quitting process and using different types of smoking cessation methods, including different types of medication in combination, to increase quit rates. Now, some other experts correctly point out, behavioral therapies clearly need to be considered, and in fact, the researchers did have counseling available to the uh, research subjects to uh, overcome some of the behavioral aspects of tobacco addiction. Now, they found that 53% of those taking both drugs had quit smoking after 12 weeks compared with about 43% of those taking the Chantix alone. Uh, Again, a 10% difference there may not sound like a lot, but when it comes to research like this in medicine, that is a huge difference. After about six months, 37% of people in the uh, two-drug group remained smoke-free, compared with 28% of those who took Chantix alone. So you see, you go from 53% after three months, and that drops down to 37% uh, who quit successfully after uh, six months. And then after a year, it goes down a little bit, but not quite as big a drop. It goes down from 37% in six months to 31% after a year, and the two-drug group have uh, continued to quit. Uh, but then only 25% of those who took the Chantix alone were still not smoking. Now, more patients who were using the combination treatment reported anxiety and depression than those who were only taking the Chantix. And obviously, these are important symptoms to monitor, but the researchers did not feel that it would be more than what would occur normally with any type of treatment for smoking cessation. Um, I'm not sure I understand why that would be the case. Certainly, like we talked about before, Chantix is well known to have the risk of unwanted psychiatric side effects. And well trained even though it's an antidepressant, it may also have those type of effects. Its mecha- Wellbetrin's mechanism of action is very different from Chantix. What happens with Wellbetrin is it enhances the function of norepinephrine and dopamine in the brain. Those are two brain transmitters that, in fact, are highly stimulated by nicotine. And so since you have Wellbetrin stimulating those two pathways, nicotine is less craved and less rewarding when it is used. So that's how Wilbertrin helps people quit. Chantix, on the other hand, uh, has a different mechanism, occupying the nicotine receptors, making smoking less rewarding, while y- preventing withdrawal, making it easier to cut down and quit. So really it's unclear to me why the combination of the two would lead to more anxiety and depression than people only on the Chantix. And that is definitely something to consider for those of you patients who are considering asking your doctor about this combination. And certainly if there are any physicians listening to this, something to give you pause before you prescribe the combination. I certainly um, was taken aback by that. Now, um, no matter whether this combination treatment seems to be too risky or too aggressive, keep this in mind. Smoking accounts for 62% of deaths among women smokers and 60% of deaths among men who smoke. When you put it in that kind of perspective, uh, I think it makes it less of a drastic option to consider things like admittedly an aggressive combination of these two prescription smoking cessation drugs and uh, even taking into account uh, the potential risks of side effects of combining the two. Uh, Again, you have to respect research done at Mayo's, published in the Journal of the AMA, but it's one study – Hopefully, there'll be more work done on this combination, and uh, again, we physicians who are trying to find ways to help our patients quit smoking successfully have to always be on the lookout for alternatives, and we don't have the luxury of necessarily waiting around for the FDA to kind of give their blessing to this. My guess is that if... A pharmaceutical company were to propose coming up with a combination drug of dual ingredients with the ingredient of Chantix and Wellbutrin combined in, in one tablet somehow, if that were even possible, and propose this as a treatment for smoking cessation to the FDA, I seriously doubt it would pass muster or it might take years to get them to approve it. Uh, knowing how they typically react to uh, any kind of psychoactive medication nowadays. So really it's going to be uh, if, if this combination is going to be used and is going to become popular, um, you know, it's just going to have to be an educated and informed decision on the part of physicians and patients after weighing all the other options and weighing the risks. Uh, Any treatment in medicine is weighing the risk-benefit ratio, folks. That's just how it is. But again, keep in mind when you get too concerned about the risks of a smoking cessation treatment, no matter which one it is, it pales compared to the risks of smoking. All right, well, that's going to have to wrap it up for tonight's show, folks. Lots more to talk about in the coming year. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show, and I hope till we get together again next time, you have a wonderful, stress-free week. But if not, then you need to call Dr. Scott. Good night, and thank you for listening.